0: That's right. Coffee Shop Conversations is the name of this thing. I'm Oregon Music News Editor-in-Chief Tom D'Antoni, and we're actually in a coffee shop. It's called World Cup Coffee and Tea, and it's at Northwest 18th and Gleason. Much of Oregon Music News has been created here because it's where I go to get away from my desk. So maybe you found this thing on the Oman podcast page, or on our homepage, or iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, or you actually talked to another human being, or maybe a perfect stranger walked up to you and slipped you a note. And maybe you were worried that you owed him money doesn't matter, you're here now and you know where to find us from now on. I'll be talking to musicians, writers, all kinds of interesting people because I collect them. Today's saxophonist Mary Sue Tobin of the Quadrophones and lots of other bands. You'll like her, I guarantee it. Thank you, Wayne Horvitz <laughs> um that was an old Wayne Horvitz um, uh, album from when he was had the president and um so uh sitting here with me at the World Cup coffee tea shop is Mary Sue Tobin.
1: Hi, Tom. Hello,
0: <laughs> you know her from uh lots of places, including most recently and most definitely the quadrophones yep. You know, I've stopped calling it the all-female saxophone quartet.
1: Oh, good. I stopped calling it good. that. Good, because <laughs> We're over it. <laughs> yes, we are over it. <laughs> uh, you have
0: a brand new record out. Yep. And uh, it's called uh, Get the Funk Out. Yep. Is this, a, this isn't a new side of phones because you've been playing this stuff for a long time
1: yeah we've been building up this repertoire for our club shows and festival shows yeah. um for a- almost 2 years we've always done a variety of music yeah. and it just happened that we um our rhythm section is just so funky that yeah. <laughs> we we have, they can do a lot of other stuff too but um our it's just our club shows and our festival shows organically developed into this um, very funky set of material it doesn't mean we've stopped doing our other material but we wanted to do an album that was cohesive our last album was um
0: all over the place yeah which was great it too was great. because it yeah.
1: showcased what we were doing at the time yeah so yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, okay well let's just listen to 30 seconds of the title tune shall okay. we You know, originally the quadruphones were very intellectual <laughs> jazz ensemble, <laughs> and you changed—you turned yourself into James Brown,
1: <laughs> or Maceo Parker. Anyway, you, even though you
0: don't play the alto,
1: <laughs> I do sometimes. I yeah. do. I do on, on a half the material. Depending now. on what? Oh, just some t- tunes are just more. Um, if you have the two alto sound, the two altos and tenor and bariry it gets sort of fatter fatter sound mm-hmm. to it mm-hmm. and um then if you have the soprano s a t b Gives you that barbershop, the, um, you What's know, S-A-T-B? or string. SATB, uh, soprano, alto, tenor, berry. Uh, so it's sort of under the tradition of. Barber- how was I supposed to know that? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm not, I'm just speaking saxophone language. <laughs> SATB, Tom, S-A-T-B, you don't know yeah, that? Uh, <laughs> that's how they would market, like, if you were going to buy a sax quartet, they would say, this is SATB, soprano, alto, tenor, berry. <laughs> but then. It sounds like, then, an, you
0: know, it's like software. Yeah. yeah. It's the Our newest, software company is what it Newest
1: like. in saxophone yeah. technology. <laughs> no, it, it, then we're, then in that case we're more playing roles. You know, I'm I'm the high lead, Chelsea's alto tenor, and Barry. Um, but so it's just determined by the the piece really, mm. and what kind of sound we want out of it. You know, I've
0: asked saxophone players this before. Actually, I asked Mika Brugerman, the, the Barry player, yeah. the quadraphones, the same question. Um, does the different horn express different parts of your personality?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Because yeah. I professionally, I play in a lot of other bands as well yeah. as quadraphones, and I play all of the instruments SATB as you <laughs> as we just discussed. So I play a lot of Barry. I uh-huh. do a Morphine tribute band where I play solely Barry. Um, play Barry with other. Is that Howie Barry. Barry's solely sister? Barry, yeah. yeah, solely Barry. <laughs> um, and then, uh, and, and who I, are you?
0: Who are you when you play the, the Barry?
1: Well, it's interesting. Um, you know, I first started playing a lot of Barry when I was in Solvax and I was doing the Barry parts. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm a huge Tower of Power fan. Yeah. So um, I told other guys, you know, if I'm not cutting that doc roll, just fire me now. You know, and because <laughs> um, it's a completely different thing when I'm playing soprano, I'm playing lead. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm on top. I'm controlling. And when I'm playing Barry. I'm more in a bass role, and uh-huh. it uh feels different honestly and Then, when I go and play tenor, um I started playing a lot of tenor, and now I still do and When I go to play tenor, it's mostly sort of so-, so um i'm the tenor player in the band i'm the, I say tenor jock, you know <laughs> I feel like yeah i don't have a pencil and I'm just gonna sit here and solo and <laughs> i'm gonna get in trouble for that. <laughs> And then when I'm playing alto, you know, lead alto, I grew up playing lead alto. So uh-huh. that's sort of back to my, uh, I'm in band, you know, but, but uh-huh. it's also cl- really close to my heart. So I definitely sort of take on different personas. I have different names for all of my horns. Really? Yes. What really. are they called? Um, my alto is a famous vintage horn, and I got it from this crazy guitar player in the country. And he had named, he had a little sticker on the top that said, Nicole and she's sort of my princess, so I've always called her Nicole, and then my soprano, I loved Steve Lacey, and the soprano is more, uh, I think of it as elegant, you know, I play it very precisely, um, and uh, so in honor of Steve Lacey, and I was thought it was sort of French for some weird reason, so th- her name is Stephanie, I've you know I uh-huh. may need counseling but <laughs> <laughs> um, that's okay my, just, my, it, this, this yeah. hour will
0: be 50 bucks so okay okay,
1: okay. <laughs> uh, my tenor I it, it's again a really um great vintage horn that I wouldn't have been able to um buy if it hadn't been for my friend Aaron Barnes mm-hmm. and I definitely I I you know I'm not sure why but I view the tenor tenor as more masculine and mm-hmm. uh so tenor's name is Aaron um and then my bear my berry my berry is just Bertha <laughs> i don't have a name for my clarinet a uh, little squeaky maybe <laughs> is
0: is it really hard to play the baritone sax
1: um it just takes a lot of air which fortunately yeah. i have i've always been a you know big player strong player loud player and um so Um, like with morphine, I really get a rock out on the very, but certainly takes a toll. Um, It's certainly, I mean, just the pressure of it alone on you is, um, it's a big horn. It's a lot of weight and a lot of air going through it, but it's not necessarily, you know, harder to play.
0: Uh Yeah. Uh Uh, It may may take more air for you, but of course you're you're realizing that it's rattling other people's rib cages. Yeah, (laughs) I love it because when
1: when I go into a club where I just did a session recently, um, the first notes that you play on a berry, without fail, everyone turns around like, Hey, hey, whoa, 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 (laughs) you know, give us some warning there. Yes. Yeah, I do realize it, right? I was
0: talking to Reggie Houston one time, of course, who played Barry in Fats Domino's band for 20 years, and he said he got into some dispute with the management one time, and he quit the band, and and they they moved one of the other one of the other horn players over, like a tenor player over, to play Barry, because anybody can play anybody can any horn player can play Barry, right? Well, maybe not. Well, it took about two weeks, and the guy who moved over went, you you had to I I. I've stopped doing this. This is killing me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I have a buddy who's like, I only play Barry for special situations. Don't let the word get out.
0: <laughs> well, how old did you have to be before you took up the Barry? Did you have to, like? Did you have to like grow? You know.
1: Oh well, yeah. I mean, that is a that is a, a consideration because I yeah. teach kids, and yeah. I had one kid, and he really wanted to play the Barry, and just it's physically impossible. It's too big. You yeah. know. Um, so I didn't start playing Barry. Um, I mean, obviously it would be how whatever size you are. I'm yeah. fairly s- small, and um, but um, I th- I probably could have started playing Barry in high school if I wanted to. But I had always was the lead alto player, and then added soprano, added tenor, and then didn't add Barry until later huh. in my life. Why were you the lead alto player? Um, I had played oboe and. um had good reading chops, loved jazz, and um, so um, got an an alto. They put me on alto to switch me off of oboe. It's called the trainer horn. (laughs) It's what a lot of these kids start on. (laughs) And um, so I just loved it. How old were you? I was 14. I was going into high school, and Mm -hmm. I wanted to be in jazz band, and here I was, this oboe piano player and they're like, "Well, get on the trainer horn, get on the alto." And I immediately felt this um 100% um this is my this is my horn. This is how really? I can this is my I've been playing music since I was 5 or 6 and I immediately just resonated with it and then um uh loved the big band sounds and um loved playing lead. So
0: So what instrument did you start on?
1: I started on piano. Really? Yeah, and then moved to uh, oboe. My brother had left one behind, and Dad said, well, if you want to be in band, <laughs> you're going to play oboe. <laughs> of course,
0: now, you have a, a very unusual introduction to music for, you know, with your dad. Didn't he take you to like very avant-garde jazz shows?
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah. At what age? Oh, like nine or ten. I wow. mean, I remember a lot of these guys – And we had seven kids and dad would try and take us all to things that we were interested in. I was interested in music. Mm -hmm. He was interested in all this avant-garde 20th century and jazz music. So my special night with dad would be that I got to go to these shows. And at the time there were these gallery shows that were under 21. And they happen to be very avant-based, uh-huh. and so I got to see Rich Holley and the Lizard Brothers and Vinny Galio with all of his instruments all around him. Jeez. And imagine, you know, you're out with your dad and you're at this cool show at an art gallery, and you just feel so special. So yeah. I always had a very um, uh, lo- a love for that.
0: That's that's really unusual because that's not how kids get generally get introduced to. to, to first of all, first of all, they don't generally hear that stuff until they're they, until much later in life you yeah know, a lot of people have to spend years growing in grow, growing the ears to hear that really hear that stuff
1: oh yeah that's mm-hmm. why. I, I mean I teach and I have all these students and I'd say you ever listen to anything and they know I don't listen to anything it's uh, and he would take me to you know symphonic concerts and to uh, mm-hmm. Art Blakey and a lot of expressing parents could do for their kids
0: so what kind of were you listening to pop music at the time too
1: um, I wasn't listening to a lot of pop. I was listening to, we didn't have a TV and I was kind of that darky kid in band.
0: Ah, Yeah.
1: And then our, wow. um, our band director would have us, um, have a listening day. So I would be exposed to all this music. Mm-hmm. And in that time you couldn't download stuff. There wasn't yeah. YouTube, you know, um, um,
0: you weren't listening to, on the radio?
1: Well, I was listening on the radio, but I was in Eugene, so it was sort of a mixed bag of yeah. what you would get. But I loved records, so I would go out and spend my allowance money, my Easter dress money, my <laughs> paper out money, and I would go out and buy all these albums that we would listen to mm-hmm. in Jazz Band, which were um, the band director, Greg Hall. He would expose us to, you know, tonny of different forms of music, and I would just. Tr- truck out with my babysitting money and go buy all those albums and sit there and listen to them so not a lot of pop later in high school of course i got into um um some of the, like the new york art scene um laurie mm-hmm. anderson and uh-huh. talking heads and uh that so kind of so you're one of, of the
0: few people who missed hair bands
1: when I met my boyfriend, <laughs> um, that was the bass player in our jazz band, <laughs> our our little combo we started. Yeah, I certainly got my introduction to uh, Hendrix and Zeppelin and uh, some hair bands for sure. Yeah, <laughs> which I like. I, you know, I'm I I I used to put. Um, oh gosh, I'm not even. I'm gonna be that dork that doesn't even remember Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden. <laughs> Iron Maiden. <laughs> yeah. <Really? laughs> Oh, but yeah, Uh-oh. and my interest expanded. Now I listen to so much music yeah, of yeah, all yeah, sorts, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: So you didn't, you, you weren't into, into into dance music. You 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 weren't you weren't a, you, you didn't go go out dancing and stuff.
1: I didn't go out dancing. No, like I said, I was just kind of that dorky kid. I had my own band, and when I was 14, I started playing in clubs. When I was 15 or 16. I would sneak into the jazz jams and the blues jams at night. Uh-huh. Um, the door people knew me. The door guys knew me. And they would sort of say, we're keeping an eye on you. And they put me in a corner. And, uh, yeah, I was, wasn't out dancing. I was trying to sneak into jazz jams and blues jams. And I was gigging even at uh-huh. that, a young age like that. Really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And later in the 90s, I got, it, got into, uh, you know, uh, hip-hop and the sort of conscious hip-hop and Michael yeah. Franti and all yeah. the stuff that was in the clubs because I was playing in the clubs and hearing that. So.
0: But when did you realize that you could make people dance?
1: Oh, well, I got hired out of U of O to mm-hmm. join this sort of world beat reggae band mm-hmm. that would tour with Steel Pulse and UV40, and we would play huge festivals. And so I'm going from playing... Jazz gigs and pit gigs and Eugene yeah. and at U of O to playing festivals for for thousands of people at a young age at eighteen or nineteen, wow. and um, with bands like the Cherry Pop and Daddies and Curtis and Crazy Eights and and it was it was like wow people are <laughs> dancing this is cool <laughs> and it was a entirely different experience and I really enjoyed that. And then did I. You have,
0: did you feel a sense of power?
1: Um, not power, but connection with the audience. Uh-huh. A, like a, a, a very visceral, physical connection with the audience that uh-huh. was, um, you know, you still get that playing jazz. Uh-huh. And certainly I go in cycles where I played that kind of music for a long time, thoroughly enjoyed it. And then I wanted to go back and play more. Um, Focused jazz. I kind of quit all those bands and mm-hmm. decided, hey, I just want to, you know, be a jazz player, play more, go back to my, you know, play avant garde, play jazz, play a big band, and then I, after doing that for a long time, you know, I was like, ah, I really want to play some funk again and yeah. soul called, you know. Yeah. So it, it's my, I've embraced all of this music and it's kind of encyclical for me how I. Uh how i feel you know
0: because when i met you that was during the andrew oliver paxlin uh, part of your career
1: yes yeah and
0: that was definitely jazz of course you know at the time no
1: question guys like
0: me we tried to rename it let's call it indie jazz so young people will listen to it (laughs) (laughs) which we did actually the name caught on a little bit you know
1: well there was a big scene at that time drew schulz chris mosley was here there was um uh the record label the dyadic. Um, yeah dyadic, dyadic records yeah, yeah. and um there was a real dusty big york f- dusty york yeah yes. and there was a real scene for that i mean there mm-hmm. wasn't really another word to call it except for indie jazz all these yeah. killer players were moving here and playing this um modern a new a, a, um a a new form of jazz they weren't it wasn't retro it wasn't big band mm-hmm. wasn't funk wasn't smooth jazz right. and um it was composed music and it was a great period in my life i did many albums with andrew oliver and with sound for the organization of society yeah. paxling quartet um we put out you know two or three albums and it was a fantastic period in my life i loved doing that yeah,
0: yeah. and then Soulback's called <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs>
1: yeah. And all of a sudden, and then I did was do an entirely different thing, yeah. and I've, you know, I and and along with many many other bands as well, you know, and I've certainly put in my time in the trenches too, with wedding bands. Yeah, I I, I know
0: it, 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 it it's just not overnight stardom for you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> where's the blood on my knuckles I here i'm trying to find you know, the scars
0: you, you raised a couple of kids
1: i did i didn't take the same trajectory as other people so there's a lot of what was your trajectory then well i um i was set to be one of those kids you know that was going straight from eugene to berkeley college of music i had graduated early i was going to be a jazz sax um that was going to be in my life. Well, it still is. Yeah. Um but I um I had a son, young, and uh his father and I we got married and stayed in Eugene, went to U of O and um then moved to Portland and toured and um and then I had another son um uh later and so I was raising my two boys and touring And um, eventually went went back to school, went back to PSU, finished my undergrad, got my master's with the GTF. All this time I'm still playing with other bands. So my trajectory has been very, very different from a lot of kids who are sort of young jazz superstars, know what they want to do. They go off to the East Coast for three or four years. Mm -hmm. They come back to Portland, and they start making a name for themselves um, at a very young age, a lot of times in a very specific setting. Mm-hmm. So um I I had a different path for whatever reason and um um now my boys are grown I'm at a relatively young age and I'm still playing all the time and I have no regrets as I have a fantastic life here in Portland a a, a very very um well-rounded musical um Career with bands that I enjoy immensely. So.
0: How the boys turn out?
1: Ha! They are just wonderful. Don't even let me go on. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Go on. Um, no, they're great. My old, they both played music. My younger one is an amazing drummer. I always got them music lessons, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, my younger son is a wonderful lighting director, drummer. Um, just a great guy. He lives in Portland. And my older son is on the East Coast. He wanted more of the business route, which is fine by me. You yeah. want to go get an MBA in business, terrific. Wow. <laughs> you know? awesome. Yeah, but he loves music as well. And, and they're both all that time that we spent, uh, myself and uh, the family surrounding them, uh, just giving them love and being them for them. They may have had an interesting existence being surrounded by musicians, but... <laughs> Well, yeah. I, I think, they're, yeah. personally, they're more developed for it. <laughs> they may, they may grumble about the time there was, you know, no, <laughs> where's the milk, mom? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But um,
0: did you have a TV? We did. Uh. Well, not all the
1: time. I fought against the cable for years and years. <laughs> so, yeah. <Why>? Yeah. <laughs> What? You're talking
0: about a medium I've spent many years in now. I mean, I may take this personally. Well,
1: I did like the cooking shows. <laughs> <there>. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, they're they're terrific, and um, I couldn't have asked for uh, for more wonderful boys. Yeah, men now.
0: Now, yeah, I mean, no, mothers are are entitled to call them boys for the oh, rest, absolutely. Of, rest of yeah. their life. They'll still be Come my on. babies. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Um, do you do you talk music with them?
1: Absolutely, yeah. My younger son. I keep telling him, "Can you do a dubstep of the quadraphone stuff?" That's what the kids like, right? And he'll <laughs> just sort of groan. And um, yeah, I would love to. I would love to do an album with with my son. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, we talk we talk music my older son is sort of like eh you don't like what i like mom but uh, oh ooh, 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 that <laughs> but hurts. i'm like come on send me a CD yeah wow so, yeah <laughs> what
0: do you think he what what does he like that he, he thinks you don't
1: like you know i, I indie rock maybe oh no <laughs> world beat uh-huh. i was really influenced by a lot of music that was coming out of that i was hearing while we were doing festivals and touring and like i said there was a lot of sort of conscientious hip hop going on around that time. And um I was offered a record deal after um that band broke up to do my own project, to write my own material. I was playing a lot of keyboards. Mm-hmm. And um so I did write my own album. I ten or eleven songs all all mine. I played keyboards. I had a band. I sang Wow, and was just missing my saxophone so much. The Uh album had horns on it, but it was very vocal, key (laughs) band based. And I got invited to join some of my friends back from Berkeley for this jazz trio, you know, sort of John Abercrombie, uh, Uh Keith Jarrett, Mm -hmm. um, kind of stuff. And got asked to open up for Herbie Hancock, and I just refused to put out the album. I just, I just said, you know what, I just I really want to go back to playing saxophone, so I quit everything, went back, and just started practicing. Wow. My younger son had gone into school, went to Rob Shepp's for lessons. <laughs> um, eventually, went back to PSU. That's what. That's pe- pe- what. Pe-
0: only musicians know about Rob Shep's.
1: Yeah, well, let's uh, let's let's uh, just say that he was um, <laughs> a teacher who um, great saxophone player. Yes, and a teacher who made me. I went up to him at the old Jazz to Opus, and I said, I'm, I want to be a badass sax player. Yeah. And he was like, all right, are you ready for this? And I wasn't quite, <laughs> yeah. but at the same time, he was a fantastic teacher that really um, makes his students a- a- operate on a high level. He doesn't really take anything less than that, which yeah. is not a bad thing all the time.
0: Not a bad thing. On the <laughs> other hand, <laughs> well, there's, I forget who said it, but there, there's, there was a musician at the time who said, it, it it some at any any moment in time in the world someone is telling a Rob chef story. <laughs>
1: it's true, yeah, <laughs> but I have a lot of great teachers, um a lot of great socks teachers here that help so you me. don't want to tell
0: your Rob chef story uh,
1: I'm not on air, okay Are we on air right. right now okay. no. A, sure no um, problem, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> um he he inspired me to go back to p s u he was like, yeah. at the time, I was really all that I did was I took my kids to school and I would go home and I would practice for seven hours and then I would go um I think it's the only time I ever had a real job like at the post <laughs> office or McMiniman's or something. Yeah. And that's all that I did. And they were like, you're gonna go mad. So they sent me to PSU where I met all the people that I play with today. Dan Gaynor, Ken Ollis, Bill Athens, Amazing. Charlie Gray, Daryl Grant, all those people. Jeez. So
0: Okay. Let's one since we're we are at the World Cup coffee and tea shop um and um at the at the northwest Gleason and eighteenth. Uh why don't we uh take a break here and take a coffee break?
1: Let's take a Sounds coffee break. Sounds good to me.
0: coffee break. That was a tune called I Just Assumed by our guest, Mary Sue Tobin. I'm Tom D'Antoni. This is Coffee Shop Conversations from the World Cup Coffee Shop at uh, Northwest uh, Gleason and 18th Street in Avenue Avenue, Street, Avenue, what is it? I don't know. It's, it's one of the two. It's paved.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that was a tune from Quadrophone's new album, Get the Funk Out, a tune called I Just Assumed by our guest, Mary Sue Tobin. Um how how do you compose what's your what's your method? Um do you, do you compose on piano?
1: Yes, I do compose on piano and mm-hmm. um I used to sit down um sit down at the piano, you know, with a little recorder mm-hmm. or a you know, music pages and just write every day. I was writing a lot for that album. And I like to just sit down at the piano. I played for dance classes for years, and I would—they would the modern people would sort of be like, give me 14 boar- bars of a percussive yet abstract uh, uh, rhythmic thing that sounds like a tiger, you, you know, and I'm like, um, and I would either invent something or take something that I knew and try to make it sound like that, you know, which it often didn't, and, but... I got used to just sitting down and just writing things. And then, of course, at college, I'm taking arranging and learning how to arrange for um, big band, for saxophones, for all of that kind of stuff. Uh, but I think it's very important. I don't write as much anymore, and it's part of my goal to set aside two hours a day. Dave Douglas always said you have to, you know. Um, mm-hmm. You have to wake up and go do it every day. You have to put aside time, and writers do this too. My brother sent me a great book um, by a dancer and um, talking about the creative process and that you just have to set aside time for it. So you go into a white studio, you're looking at a blank canvas, you're just sitting at a piano, Mm -hmm. and you just – Right, and I don't like to say force yourself to write, Mm -hmm. but if you're having a dry spell, you can think of different things to do. I'm going to try this, I'm going to try that, you know, but it's definitely, I had a huge span in my life where I was writing every day, and I had this huge bank of material, so sometimes I go back, and I draw on those things, and Mm -hmm. I change them for different groups, Um, but it's definitely a, a sort of a personal goal of mine right now, and something that you know, my people are always encouraged me. You have to write more, you have to write more, Mm -hmm. you have to write more. And, um, I do have a huge, um, body of of work that I would still like to even rearrange a lot of it, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, yeah.
0: Isn't isn't it delightful when you go back and find something that you've done that you forgot that you, you did and then, and you really like it
1: well, I la- I, that tune I just assumed, I mm-hmm. did a, like a little sketch for a PSU combo I was in, mm-hmm. um, actually with Esperanza, and I was going through all my stuff from PSU, she had asked me to find some tapes for her, mm-hmm. and I had found all this stuff, and it was exactly that, oh my, oh my god, yeah. I, I remember this, this would be a great tune, you yeah. know, yeah. yeah, I love it, I love it, it's, it's like nice. finding gold. Yeah, or know, a twenty dollar I mean, bill stuffed in your pocket. You but
0: before Oregon Music News, which I, which I do not get to be funny very often, uh, except like if I'm writing about Ace of Base. Tonight,
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I saw the sign. Yeah,
0: no, um, it's a beautiful life.
1: Oh, okay. It's a beautiful. It's
0: one of the worst pieces of music <laughs> ever written, lyrically <laughs> and musically. Um, yeah. Or when we do our Throwback Thursdays you know, uh, video of the day, then I can write funny, but, but, um, there was a time where I could go back and find a piece that I, something I'd written that I had totally forgotten about that would make me laugh. Yeah. You know, geez. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, it's very gratifying to go, Oh, I wrote that really? It (laughs) is.
1: Yeah. And then when you hear other people play it, it's even more awesome. Yeah. You're just like, Oh God, that's awesome.
0: Yes, that's something that a writer doesn't get to do.
1: Yeah.
0: In fact, writers are just awful. <laughs> it's they're very depressing. <laughs> so you don't get applause. You don't get any applause. Aww. You don't get any recognition. Aww, you know, John. and not only that, when I was writing for newspapers and magazines, the next day, this thing that you had spent so much time writing and and, and take, you know and polishing and and making perfect. They throw in the trash. Yeah, they just they throw it in the trash. It's gone, yeah. right? So, yeah. So actually, it's it's a little bit better than than um, broadcasting. Yeah. Because before the internet, before this, because this will last forever. You know that. Oh no. For if this is perpetuity. That's oh no. What we're doing right here. Um, <laughs> you know, if you do live broadcasting, it's
1: gone. Yep. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs>
0: But that's okay. I mean, it's yeah. part of the job.
1: And we do spend our we do spend our alone time in in, in the practice rooms, in, in corners. You know, yeah. yeah. there's a very yeah. sad and chapter that's... about the oboe player that yeah. wrote the book, and she, at one point she's just sitting in the corner sobbing, making oboe reads, You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, like a live it's very gig, very tragic.
0: It's a live gig. You can't get that back.
1: No, uh-uh. Yeah, yeah, it's completely different. And then when you're going to record, it's going to be documented forever. Yeah. So there's all these sort of pressures. Oh, you know? God, yeah. Yeah.
0: Why? I've known people who have made records, and then you go to the the release gig, and it's like, they've been playing these tunes now for a while, and it's much better than the album. right. <sighs>
1: <laughs> right. and live music often is. Yeah. And yeah. but oddly enough then some live albums are phenomenal and they're amazing. But then some live albums don't capture yeah. um the band as you would hear them if you were there. It's yeah. an interesting phenomenon. Yeah.
0: So the next one has to be a live <laughs> has to be. Has to be That's I I was I've been thinking that all along. Yeah. You know, I mean, cause you, you, you guys are so great live. So I have stopped calling it an all-female saxophone quartet.
1: Okay. Yes, you know, we we discussed uh, that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> it, now, is, is that a good thing or a bad thing that, I, that 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 I have stopped saying that?
1: Hmm. I don't know if it's a good thing. Know, or a bad because thing because marketing.
0: Oh, they're all <clears throat> females, and all all the girls are going. Oh, it's all females. Oh, I think I'll like that, even if they don't. But <laughs> but, right. but it's attract it's it's attractive in that way. And, of course, their first album had the greatest uh, uh, title in the history of albums, <laughs> music to watch girls by.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think some reviews said not. they're more than an all-female saxophone quartet. <laughs> I may have written that. <laughs> um, well, it's interesting. And in people, one of the interview questions that always comes up is, well, how does it feel being in an all-female band? And, you know, <laughs> It's – one thing is that um, everyone is sort of – although I've been in mixed bands, but – mixed bands. I've been in bands with male and female where Uh you're given the respect and cred of a band leader. And there's other bands where it's sort of "Mm, be quiet and don't say anything, you Uh know. And uh, so in this band, we're definitely all free to be uh, sort of band leaders. Uh And and the fact that people go out and see a bunch – Uh, you know, a group of women playing on that level that this band does Mm -hmm. is a powerful thing for people. And there's no getting around that. I mean, that, so, so it's, it's, but at the same time, I never wanted to be in an all female band. That was, I, I wanted to be Charlie Parker, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I didn't care who I played with, you know, (laughs) you could be an alien, you know, (laughs) Uh, I don't care as long as, you know, um, so it wasn't a, a a desire for me, but when they asked me, a, they were great musicians, b, they're fun to be around, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and see, uh, wanted to play sax quartet music. then when you get on stage and you feel you you do feel the the power of a, of a group that is all women um, playing, however all women all men you wouldn't say all men no you know so it's interesting you wouldn't say all latino you know this fantastic all latino man all
0: all african-american you know (laughs) jazz band oh how unusual
1: (laughs) but i mean the fact of the matter is is that women have been slowly you know working their way into uh uh, being respected jazz musicians and there, there is a history out there you know even in the European symphonies you know were incredibly hard on female female artists and musicians so there 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 is the fact that that is and has been um not an issue but a fact and so um so well, i don't, don't manifest itself i', don't, I mean,
0: for you how how has that manifested itself for you you know when, when you, you know you... I've
1: never really thought about it um except that um my sister was recently talking to me about some uh, sort of racism that was going on in this debate team and how it can manifest itself as blatant or subtle. Mm-hmm. and Or it can manifest itself as sort of joking, and you know that it's joking, or passive-aggressive. So she was like, well, how is that for you, being a woman in, in the music field? It's the same thing that it is for everything everybody. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's subtle, sometimes it's passive-aggressive, sometimes it's in your face. I don't really think about it, and it doesn't affect me you know because i i just want to play my saxophone i just want to go and play music and if you know you're a jerk or you're not you know great but maybe you are on one level and maybe you are on not what i don't like i'll tell you what i don't like Tom. what don't you like <laughs> maybe <so>. tell me <laughs> well it's that when people ask about um uh Oh, you guys, you know, your your photos, you're such great musicians. Why do you have to dress up, like, in sexy clothes, you know? Which I find an offensive question, and I'll tell you why. You know, uh, I always bring this up, but Herbie Mann, I just post of this Herbie Mann has a famous album where he's you know basically naked holding the flute over his (laughs) you know general area with a little cutout where you can feel the hair now I don't think anybody ever asked him like Herbie Mann why would you you're such a great player why would you put out a sexy album cover like that Miles Davis is in his boxers in an album you know so maybe I find that sexy I'm not going to say to Miles Miles you're such a great player why do you denigrate yourself by dressing sexy like that maybe it's not even sexy to someone uh huh You know, I just find – I find that an offensive comment because we're women. We'll dress how we like, and we dress for ourselves, you know. Mm -hmm. We don't dress for marketing ability. We dress because we like what we're wearing, Mm -hmm. you know. And um, the idea that you would not ask that question to – to uh, a man saying a ripped t-shirt rocker dude with long hair you know eddie eddie van halen you're so talented why do you have to denigrate yourself by (laughs) dressing i i keep saying this because i'm like can't you see that that's um that that's um a ridiculous question that's ridiculous we'll dress however we like of course
0: you know um the the other the other part of that is that most male musicians dress like schlubs, you know, not, not and all. you guys are like, <laughs> you know, dressed, you know, and they they have dirty jeans and, and sneakers. Not all. And, not all. And, no, and let's a, not a, be And their shirt house. tail not is out. Typical. Not all. Right? You know, I mean, we do have our Norman Sylvester's here, but, you know, uh, but, you know, I mean, uh, it's it's a leftover from from grunge, obviously. This lack of, how, lack of men knowing how to
1: dress. Well, and but there's – I mean, there's the exceptions of – if you look at the James Brown. I just saw the James Brown documentary. Yeah. Those guys were dressed. Well, of course. You know, and a, and a lot of those fantastic bands, bands from, the, from the 50s and 60s, yeah. they had wardrobe consultants. You know, why? Because – uh, people like that. Everybody yeah. has an image, whether it's grungy or not. Grungy might be the image that they're trying to portray. Yeah. You know.
0: But it's, it, 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 you know, but it, it, the African-Americans dressing is a whole different thing. I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. Okay. Um, I was talking to one of the, one of my Oregon Music News writers who went to see Dream Girls mm-hmm. on opening night and the audience was all, all African-American and they were dressed, totally dressed. Everybody was dressed, just great and beautiful. And then, the next night, everybody was in sandals because it was white people. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is the case. I went to, there was a soul show at the, at the, at the Crystal Ballroom a few years ago and it was old soul bands like um, uh, OJs, stuff like that. And I thought I was back in Baltimore because there you know, were, like, everybody, it was, it was mostly, about, it was about 90% African-American. They were, it, was, it was 90% over 50 and they were dressed To kill, I'm telling you. They look so good. But, you know, uh, then all the white people there was... And dirty, dirty jeans and and had their shirt tails up. It's out.
1: not unusual though to be asked to dress for certain situations. You know, if you I, if you go play for the symphony, you're going to be asked to dress in concert black. Yeah. You know, yeah. if uh, you're going for this group or this wedding band, you know, okay, we want '70s funky for this. You yeah. know, or you're continually one of the questions I ask if I get hired by a band that I don't know. You know, a how much am I going to get paid? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. b do you have a book. Uh, or um, at what do I wear? When to be there? You know, but Having a dress code is not unusual um, at all, and nothing that I find offensive.
0: Okay, H- having four women all dressed well—is there any competitive competitiveness in the dressing?
1: No, no. no, <laughs> no. Well, Except, you know, no, would, that would occur no, to a guy. No, no, know? no, not at all. No, and everybody's like, "Oh, are you guys? You know, is there?" No, we get in, we get in fights about other things like who's taking the CDs to the mailbox, you know, or <laughs> <laughs> did you send out that press release? Yes. Um, no, no. The only times that ever happens is, you know, cause, the, uh, we, we do have that conception of sort of dressing similarly, like, like the groups from the fifties and sixties. Yeah. So if one shows up, you know, in, in, uh, tall boots with uh, short shorts and uh-huh. everyone else is in flowered dresses. Maybe that person is going to get a little talking to. <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> um, that's funny. So, uh,
0: it, 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 I mean, it's, it's wonderful that you have these two grown sons, and they're great, and you love them, and, and you have this career that's, that's going well, and you're working all the time, you're teaching all the time. But I, I, I know it wasn't. It wasn't easy.
1: No, it it wasn't easy. I mean, people, people in general, just getting up every day and dealing with the world and going to work, yeah. and um, that's difficult enough a lot of the times for mm-hmm. most people. And I'm not having a sob story because it's great to be able to do. No, I, what I love. Not a, it's not a sob story. It's yeah. an inspiring but story. Raising yes, raising two. Two children um, with uh, very little money. Although I've, I've, um, you know, been lucky to um, have, you know, when I needed it, support from from mm-hmm. family um, and friends. But yeah, I, I have, all, you know, I've done this, you know, and with with uh, the people around me. But it's yeah, it's been hard i mean i've I've walked through snow for a twenty seven dollar check, you know, because that's all I had. I've driven four hours so I could make twenty five dollars because I needed it. Mm-hmm. I've taken every single gig that I can so that I'm capable of of being able to play all of these different styles of music. Yes, I've spent hours and hours of time in the practice room after raising my kids, you know, going to a job. I would sneak back in the practice rooms at PSU and practice till 3 in the morning. Yes, there's been all this blood, sweat, effort, tears, you know, um, certainly hard times, you know, cars breaking down. Everybody laughs at musicians' crap. Can I say crappy? Musicians' crappy cars. Um, Yeah, I mean... Uh it's, for me at any rate, and for many musicians, it is, it is a tough, uh, and especially if you have kids or are trying to raise kids and make time for all of that. It's a lot. And so the payoff of, yes, um, yeah, I can, you know, I'm not rich, but I can pay my bills making music and mm-hmm. playing bands that I want. That's certainly been, there's been a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of steps coming up to that. And it's still hard, you know, it, it's still hard sometimes, but it's, it's gotten easier. But I do think people go see musicians sort of playing at festivals and it's glamorous and it seems so fun. And you're like, yeah. oh, my mom always, my mom always like, but what about the years and years and years <laughs> you spent practicing without health insurance or cars? <laughs> and I'm like, there is that. <laughs> there is that. Yeah. But I think you sacrificed to do what you love. And uh, for me, it's never been an option. So, oh. yeah. yeah. I mean, I—that's yeah. just all I ever wanted to do. So, yeah.
0: so you must have a, a real sense of accomplishment then. Not that you're not—not not, not that everything's over, because it's really this. It's first, certainly with with. Well, know, yeah. For
1: for how for for how far I've come, and for yeah. certainly the you know the boys turning out great, and yeah. um, uh, but I share that with everyone around me. Um, Yeah, I do. The the interesting thing though about being a musician, though, is you're never satisfied, or at least I'm like, I'm not like, I'm like, okay, this is great. What do I what can I do now I have the rest of my life where I just want to keep getting better and better Mm -hmm. and better and better and better. You know, I I called John Nastos or Nicole Glover and be like, hey, can I come, you know, pick Mm -hmm. your brains and Mm -hmm um there's there's a million tunes i want to learn there's a million tunes i want to write there's mm-hmm. of course um i always want it's just almost a state of grace though because you have the rest of your life where you're never going to be bored you know there's yeah. always something to do you can always get better the, i i would never you know yes while i have a sense of accomplishment i, I would i would never dream of sort of saying okay well then good done yeah. you know <laughs> no i'm constantly yeah making lists of, I want to learn that tune, I want to write that tune, I want to arrange that tune, I want to transcribe that solo, you know, I'm constantly being inspired, Mm -hmm. and um, it's a, sometimes it's like, I have so much to do, and other times it's like, yeah, I have the rest of my life to get better, you
0: know. And we haven't even talked about your, your, uh, the, the music that you curate. (laughs) <laughs> the festivals and the clubs and yeah, all that. Yeah, then there's you know? that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. a that's a whole different. I mean, yeah, I'm sure at the end of Cathedral Park Jazz Festival, you know, you did it. There you go.
1: Right.
0: You know, that's that's a that's a, a, a you, the people came, yep. the bands played. Yep. And you put that together. Right. Or helped put that together anyway. Yeah. A couple of them. Yeah. And that's must you know that's a different kind of a, a sense of accomplishment, isn't it?
1: It is a totally different sense of accomplishment. Yeah. And um, you know, I got into running series because of one of my bands had gone to Chicago, mm-hmm. and, and we asked them, "How do you get people to listen to your music?" And they said, "Well, we start our own series, you know." Yeah. So um i came back and started one at red and black the owner that not the owner it was co-op mm-hmm. said do you want to put your band in here every week and i said well my band can't play in here every week but i could book it every week and mm-hmm. then we can have a venue for um and be, then that sort of started it so sometimes i'm like ay, ay, ay you know why yeah. am i doing this because yeah. it is a lot of work and i've um, very rarely been paid for curating in my life um occasionally and that that was a huge sense of like um that's i appreciate being um you know, uh, rewarded for that or or uh, compensated for that. However, I continue to do it with Wine Up on Williams and with the FOPO All Stars yeah. and with um, helping program for uh, Portland Jazz Composers Ensemble and PDX Jazz. And it's sort of that thing of you have the van. And you're, you can lift heavy things. <laughs> so you're the guy that's going to be called for moving. <laughs> and how do you say no to all your friends? Yeah, right. You don't. You go and you move that bed, you know. And um, But and it's a necessity. You've yeah.
0: had success where like people are going, your, your series at the Blue Monk was more successful than the club. Right. If that club was still going, <laughs> that series would still be going. And oh, was, yeah. And people were, 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 I think, really surprised. You know, yeah. from the outside, like, come on, Sunday night right. jazz with the with the the kind of of music you were booking in there, which right. is kind of the intellectual side of things, mm-hmm. and uh, and it was, you know, I I, I know you had must have had some bad nights, but there was a lot of people in that club.
1: Yeah, we um, the the booking is interesting because you're never going to please ev- any everyone all the time ever. Mm-hmm. right someone is always going to be like why why didn't you book that why didn't you book that why didn't you book that and um, the way that um, the way that I feel about it is just um, there's such a necessity for venues Yoshi's in San Francisco Mm -hmm. just um, discontinued their jazz programming Mm -hmm. we have so few clubs in town and booking is sort of a thankless task but it's one that I've just come to terms with, I, I book, um, if, if I just have always told people that I book for, I, I don't want a phone call, you know, (laughs) I don't want a phone call the next day. Like just, just let me do my thing. You know, and if some Mm -hmm. things don't work out, then we'll, we'll assess that. Um, but there's such a wealth of talent here in Portland. People have such a desire to play, That I will continue. I will continue to book, even though some some days I look at my to do list or email list and say, oh, you know, I really I should be writing right now. More business. I should be more
0: more business. Yeah, yeah.
1: My email email inbox or people saying, oh, you didn't, you know, you didn't. I try to return phone calls, but sometimes I'm like, hey, man, you know, (laughs) it's just gonna have to wait a second. You know. I'm aware of that. Yeah. poor tom has <laughs> been on the receiving end of that one yes.
0: <laughs> listen i was very happy that you could spend this hour with us. oh i was so um, delighted
1: that you called me yeah.
0: um so what's coming up what's you know here's the thing guys like me right yeah we're the ones who keep asking well what's next yeah is it got another record coming out uh, you got another band what's going on you which know, is cause,
1: great because musicians need to promote themselves you know? well
0: and you know the thing is. Uh, uh, there is, I mean, it's. I, I, I I'm. I'm assuming it. I, 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 no, I'm not assuming. I know it is. It's, it's, it's good to 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 be asked when your next thing is coming up, Yeah. Because that means that people like you. Yeah. So what's going on?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, this weekend I'm doing pit orchestra for Young Frankenstein. <laughs> really? I really am. Um,
0: you know, John but- Nastos built Oregon Music News while he was in the pit orchestra.
1: I know. I yeah. was there right next to him. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, no, uh, what's coming up for me is actually, um, I I do have, I mean, besides promoting the Quad CD and, and helping get that off the ground, although Meek is in the pit right now, so we're kind of on a break. Um, yeah. And, uh, but for me... When we say the pit, we mean the pit orchestra. Pit orchestra, orchestra yes, yes, pit orchestra. <laughs> deep in the basements of theaters all around you. Um, and... Uh, no, but Mika's run is long. Mine is mine is just short. Um, but besides focusing on getting the quadrifons out there, doing all these other projects that I'm in, all these other gigs that mm-hmm. I'm doing, um, I'm happy that I have two bands that I was able to start. So I, I've been, done so much programming for other people and been in mm-hmm. so many other people's bands that I kind of reached the point where I was like, you know, I know all these great musicians. I have the opportunity to put them in the venues, and by golly, mm-hmm. I'm going to get those bands together. Mm-hmm. So I have two bands that I'm really excited about, um, and one is more of a soul groove thing uh, with Libby Roach and Whit um, Owen and uh, Don Corey and a bunch of other people, people that I like, just le- have liked to play with through the years mm-hmm. um, and sort of different, different conglomerations of that group. So bring mm-hmm. in um, Cameron Morgan or bring in Chance Hayden, and uh does it have a name uh it it's just they're both called msq <laughs> which i got to talk to mario sandoval about that cuz he has the mario sandoval quartet and uh, so but it's either msq ms quintet or msq ms quartet okay. and then the quartet is different that's more straight ahead And it's with Andrea. I think you
0: better ask Microsoft.
1: Right. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Bring it, Microsoft. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, Then the other quartet is more straight ahead, and it's with um, Andrea Nemec and Jason Palmer Mm -hmm. and uh, George Colligan, although I've had um, Dan Gaynor Mm -hmm. or Kerry Pollitzer come in. And so I have these two groups that are fantastic opportunities for me to write for. I love playing in them. I don't get to as much as I want to, but I've started programming them in at least once a month. Like, you know, hey, mm-hmm. I, I want a piece too, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I get to work on my own playing. I get to work on my own writing. So for me, those are coming up. Um, I have every third Wednesday at the FOPO All-Stars over at Starday, Day, and then the quartet, the straight ahead court that's the soul groove. The mm-hmm. quartet will be in at Wine Up if you check their calendar um in November and December. So I'm sort of focusing on taking a little breather, promoting the quads, mm-hmm. um, still booking um, still booking Wine Up and FOPO All Stars, but um concentrating on writing for these bands and playing for these bands and getting back to um getting back to, you know, where I came from. So not Eugene. No. No, I love you mom and dad, but I'm not moving back there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> They're probably happy to hear that.
1: I got to do that again. <laughs> um, yeah, no, and I have so many different projects that I want to work on. I'm thrilled about this morphine tribute band that I'm in uh-huh. and we'll be playing again. Um, and all of these opportunities finally to work. What was it about What is it? What was it about Morphine? That well, got you? Uh, the berry. I mean, the berry's featured yeah. intensively, and it's a way of playing. It's just really powerful, powerful mm-hmm. um, um, stuff that I never get to play in any other context. Yeah. And people really, really love it, and it's and it's mm-hmm. powerful in its own right. So, and then I'm doing Birth of the Cool, which is bebop. And um, so I'm getting to do all of these different things. Yeah, if I could get Paxlin what, what, back together, it would Paxlin, kind of bring really, everything really. back together okay, for me. Okay, who was in Paxlin again? <laughs> um, uh, Ken Ollis and yeah. Bill Athens and um, Chad Hensel. He yeah. doesn't really play that much anymore, but um, yeah, it was a fantastic quartet that I had for years, and I just got to play with Bill again with Fractal Quintet, and I'm like, wow. oh, I love you, Bill. That's wow. my guy.
0: That must be sad to, 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 to have to say he doesn't play much anymore. I mean, no matter who it is.
1: Oh, you know, when well,
0: people are just,
1: yeah, in in the context, when of, get, get, well, it,
0: maybe, it, it, you know, that's something they can't do or it's not working for them or their family or whatever. I mean, I'm not talking about this one guy. Right. But
1: in uh, those contexts where it's sort of family has taken them away or there's been some injury or just some sort of personal emotional. I can't do this anymore. It is sad when you hear people say that. Um, but in particular for um for Chad he just was going a different direction with his art and mountain climbing and he's still doing music but what we were doing was so sort of intensive mm-hmm. that at the time he was really into it and then he, he he's perfectly happy yeah. being away from it so i don't if that's not a sadness it's sadness for me cuz i don't get to play with him yeah. anymore um but, but we much, might be able to twist his arm yeah but you know you,
0: pretty much you get to play with whoever you want
1: well i there's such, a thing. i i was sitting down like <laughs> looking at like making these lists who do i want to play with and i have like 12 dream bands of people that are, <laughs> and then this band will do this yeah i'm i am lucky i've developed a lot of relationships and um camaraderie and yeah. Just musical um, mm-hmm. relationships with so many good players. It's 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 just a wealth. I I I feel so lucky. Yeah. Well, we're good, huh? Yeah, we're good. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome for right. having me, Tom. Okay. <laughs>